they can head back to class this time. We'll be in Philippians 1 this morning, Philippians 1. Always enjoy special music and always enjoy hearing kids sing. I won't embarrass anybody, but we always hear one kid during the congregational singing out nice and loud and always enjoy that and enjoy it when kids get up and sing. And uh, trying to teach young people to use the talents that God's given you uh, for the Lord. It's important. It's good for adults to learn as well, by the way. But uh, if you can learn it young, it usually makes it easier as you get older. Um, understanding that the talents that God has provided for you can be used to bring glory to God. And uh, so often we, especially in today's society, it's always been this way, but it's magnified with social media and YouTube and those kind of things today where uh, young people are being told, you know, find a way to monetize your talents or find a way to become famous. And, and being famous isn't in and of itself wrong but uh, we, we try to teach our children and we try to help teach the children of the church the importance of if you have talent, um, or you, everybody has a talent somehow or another, use the talent that God gave you and uh, use it for his glory and his honor. And uh, we try our best to help out with that uh, and thankful that uh, uh, our kids, the kids of the church, enjoy singing and excited to see them uh, involved in that. Philippians chapter 1, we're continuing through Philippians. Today we're going to look at uh, verses 12 through 30 uh, here in the sermon. We won't read all of them uh, here uh, this morning, but I think verse 12 is a good diving board, a good jumping off point for us uh, this morning in the sermon. So let's read it. Philippians 1, 12 says, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Here we're looking at Paul. He's writing the letter to the church at Philippi. And as he's doing so, he's trying to encourage, he's trying to challenge, he's trying to do different things for the church there at Philippi, the Christians that are in Philippi. And he's going through himself some struggles. He's in prison. Uh, he's in Rome when he's writing this, uh, this letter. And as he's doing so, at the beginning, we looked at last week kind of the introduction into uh, this, uh, this book or this letter. And here in verse 12, he's transitioning the thoughts of this chapter. And he brings up the point that the things that have happened to him uh, have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. As a church, our goal, or one of our goals, is to further the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came, that he died on the cross for the purpose of paying the penalty for our sins, and three days later he rose again from the dead. If all he did was died, uh, it might have been a heroic or a martyr kind of story, but he didn't just die, he rose again from the dead. And because he rose again from the dead, he uh, gave us the gospel, which then provides for us the understanding of how we can know for certain that we can go to heaven when our life on this earth is over. Paul here is saying, all the things that have happened to me, even my current situation that I'm in that doesn't look good from the outside, it is for the purpose of the furtherance of the gospel. And so this morning I've got four things I'd like us to look at. Uh, that kind of close out chapter 1 and lead us into chapter 2. And we'll look at those things here after we pray. Lord, thank you for letting us come this morning. Thank you for your word and what we can learn from it. Thank you for Paul and his faithfulness and the example that he is, not just to the church at Philippi, but to us even still today. 
And God, I pray that as we look through these verses, God, I pray that you would help me to deliver them clearly and correctly, that we may learn and grow from them, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Number one today, I want us to look at this thought, glorify God in your suffering. Glorify God in your suffering. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Oftentimes when we're going through down moments, even though the Bible says uh, rejoice in all things, even though the Bible says there is something to be grateful for, something to praise God for in all things, when it comes to suffering, it's oftentimes hard for us to go, you know what, I'm thankful to God that I get to suffer. I'm thankful to God that I get to go through this really hard time in my life. Boy, this is sure a lot of fun. Uh, typically that's not the way that we look at it and suffering isn't fun and the Bible doesn't say make suffering fun it just says glorify God in your suffering Job went through so much in his life he went through so uh, as as uh, Satan uh, with permission from God came in and did things to Job physically to Job which ultimately uh, weighed on him mentally as well but he went through all this suffering and this suffering and this suffering and Job was constantly being told by his friends, what did you do to cause all this? What sin did you commit to cause all this suffering? And poor Job was saying, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. This is, I don't know why this is happening. I didn't, I, it's not my fault this is happening. Sometimes when we're going through suffering, the people closest to us don't encourage us while we're going through that suffering. Sometimes they make it worse. Sometimes they add to it. Um, I know I, I myself have fallen into the mistake of saying something I shouldn't to someone who's going through something that I don't understand. I don't know if you've ever been there before, and, or maybe you don't even know that you did it, but someone's suffering, they're going through something, and you say something very insensitive that maybe you didn't realize was insensitive, or maybe you didn't understand what they were going through, or whatever it may be, and then if you find out what you did, it oftentimes makes you go, oh man, that was really mean of me, I don't know why I did that. But you see, suffering goes through different aspects, like I said, physically, mentally, emotionally, all those different things. Paul here is suffering because he's in prison. What crime did Paul commit? Well, he preached the gospel. Uh, it's not a crime in our country, thankfully, uh, at this moment to preach the gospel. Uh, but it is a crime in some countries to preach the gospel. And if they get caught doing so, they'll be thrown in prison. And Paul here is in prison. But even in prison, Paul saw the good that God was doing. In 2 Timothy 2, 9, the Bible says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Paul understands that even though he is in prison, the word of God is not. Even though he is in prison, the Bible cannot be confined. The Bible cannot be held. History proves when someone tries to silence God's word, it only expands God's word. All throughout history, you can look at the emperors who tried to burn down cities to destroy the Bible, to destroy the Word of God, it didn't work. It only spread the Word of God. All throughout Scripture, you can read in Acts about it, you can see that when, and not just Scripture, but throughout history, of times when kings or emperors or people said, we need to get rid of God's Word, all it did was explode God's Word to the point where more people heard it and more people believed it. Paul said, even though I'm in uh, in, in prison, we can still glorify God throughout this suffering. Look in verse 13. It says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. Those who Paul was now preaching to, those who Paul was now sharing the gospel with, are people Paul would have never met otherwise if he were not in prison. Paul said, I know I'm in prison, but what's happening now is the palace 
is hearing the gospel preached. And there are other places that I wouldn't have gone to had it not been being in prison. Now they're hearing the gospel preached. You see God being glorified even in suffering. Look in verse 14. And many of the brethren of the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says, in my suffering, God is still being glorified. Not only are, are new people hearing the gospel that wouldn't have heard it otherwise, but Christians are now more bold. You see, when Christians see other Christians being persecuted, oftentimes they say, you know what, I'm not going to put up with that. You're going to be mean to this person, you're going to imprison this person, you're going to confine this person, you're going to silence this person, because all they're doing is sharing the Bible, well, I'll be. I'm going to get out and share the Bible too. It emboldens Christians as, as the world tries to silence God's word. What you see now is God being glorified because more people are faithfully and more boldly sharing the gospel. That's what Paul is noticing here in verse 14. Look in verse 18. It says, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, God, uh, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. We'll look at this in the next point, but there are people who are preaching the, the gospel, but they're doing it in spite of Paul. They're doing it because they don't like Paul, and they, maybe they were envious of Paul. And so they're out there, and they're preaching uh, for maybe the wrong motives, but you know what Paul says? Hey, what they're saying is not wrong. What they're saying is not wrong. The, the Bible's being preached. Christ is being preached. The gospel is being preached. And Paul says, maybe I'm suffering, but we're going to glorify God in our suffering. Listen, I don't want to um, make light of real suffering. Uh, our country, you know, there's a lot of questions right now with the elections coming up and different things happening and questions about what will happen with religious freedom. And, and I think some of it's blown out of proportion and some of it's not. I'll say this, to this point in America, we don't understand, we don't comprehend what suffering is. We haven't had to deal with it. But I, I will say there are people in this country who are trying very hard to make it very hard on us to express the freedoms that our country currently gives us to share the gospel openly. And with that comes an understanding, hey, no matter what happens, no matter who is the president, no matter who is in charge, no matter what rules are put in place, no matter if we go through suffering, we have to understand that we should glorify God even in our sufferings. There are times in your life where you're going to go through experiences, and I've had the opportunity to sit down with people who are going through some really hard times in their life. And when they came through those, they now had experienced something that not everybody had experienced, but other people have experienced it. Loss, great loss that maybe I haven't experienced, but now they can go to their coworker who experienced the same loss that they suffered, and now they have a way to share the gospel with someone that maybe otherwise they wouldn't have really had a connection with. You see, the sufferings that God puts in our lives, God oftentimes will use those to be an encouragement and a help to other people. There are things that we go through and we go, boy, God, I don't know why you put me through that, and it doesn't take long. I won't get specific with it, but there was something that happened in our life um, early on in our marriage, and and, and we just we didn't really understand it. Didn't, we were a little confused by it and just saying, God, you know, why, did, why does this have to happen to us? You, you ever said that before? Why does this have to happen to us? And different things like that. I became a pastor at age 26. I didn't have a lot of experience. I, didn't, uh, I wasn't counseling people before that, you know, things like that. Had someone walk into my office and had the exact same situation in their life that had happened to us two years before. I was more prepared to help that person 
because of going through it myself. As a matter of fact, it's something that uh, my family and I was in high school went through uh, as well, and which kind of prepared me for when me and my wife went through it, which didn't prepare me for being a pastor to counsel other people going through it. You see, God says, I know suffering's not fun, but I can still be glorified in your suffering. Number one, glorify God in your suffering. Number two, good messages don't make good people. Good messages don't make good people. This is important, because especially in today's time, we get a little confused. Someone says the right thing, so we go, oh, they're a great person. That's not how it works, all right? They can, they can have a, a good message and still be a bad person. Well, look in verse 15 and 16, and this goes back to verse 18 that we looked at just a minute ago. But some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing uh, that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So he's saying that there are people here who envied Paul's, I guess you could say the word fame. They envied Paul's fame. He had been out there preaching and proclaiming Christ, and Paul had become pretty well known. I mean, the government went after him. Uh, he had been, he'd become pretty well known. He was out there preaching the gospel boldly. Some crazy stuff had happened in his life, miracles and things like that. And, and Paul was out there preaching and proclaiming and, and teaching and ultimately got thrown in prison. Well, now he says there are other people, and there's kind of two sides to it. There are some who are preaching because of envy and strife. They're, they're, they, they're envious of Paul, and they're upset with Paul, and they, wanna, they want their own ministry and their own fame. He said that there are other people who are preaching of goodwill. Then he goes back in verse uh, 16. Uh, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely... So they're, um, I don't know if I should say names or not, but I will. Everybody knows them. One side's Joel Olstein, and you could disagree with me if you want to, but preaching for fame, preaching for money. And then the other side, it says in verse 16, uh, or verse 17, the other of love. And so he said there are some that are preaching out of love, and there are some that are preaching out of other wrong motives. But in verse 18 he says, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And, and therefore, or I therein do rejoice. He says, you know what, they have the wrong motives, but I'll give you this much, the, the message getting out there. And I can rejoice in that, that, the truth that is seeping out through that wrong motive. I can rejoice in the very least that someone's hearing the gospel. Now sadly there are preachers out there in the world today that don't even preach the gospel. Um, and it's just the way it is. But it's always been that way. It's not new to us today. There are false teachers. There are false preachers who are just, they're, they're, the message they're sharing isn't of the Bible. They might use a verse out of context. They might uh, take a little portion of Scripture. They might whatever, but it's, it's not truth. It's not what the Bible's teaching. That's why, and I've said this even, even before uh, we pastored this church, I hope that you have confidence in me as your pastor, that I am preaching truth, but please, go to Scripture, try it to Scripture, and understand, is it true or not according to Scripture? Again, I, I, I promise I'm never going to purposely lie to you about the Bible, but at the end of the day, uh, I, I hope that you have confidence in me, but you should still try it with Scripture. Make sure that it's true. Make sure that it's right. And in today's access to all kinds of preachers across the world, we can't just take their word for it. We have to take it to the Word, to the Scriptures, and try it. But understand that just because the message is good, it doesn't make the people good. I know people today that are in prison because of some evil, evil acts. And before they went to prison, they were pastors. And they helped people. 
They counseled people. They gave great biblical advice to people. They, they preached messages that God used to change people's lives. To find out later that those men were evil, evil people. You see, just because it's a good message doesn't make it a good person. Our confidence ought to be in Christ and God's words, not in the people who are presenting them. But we have to understand, just because some people are, are evil or just because their motives are wrong, it doesn't mean that God can't use the truth of God's word in spite of them. God can work even in this. Glorify God in your suffering. Good messages don't make good people. Number three, God offers blessings in life and death. God offers blessings in life and death. Now, we're not turning into a cult. I'm not saying everybody needs to drink the Kool-Aid today, okay? Uh, that's not what we're talking about. Look here in verse 20 through verse 24. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having, to desire, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul here is saying, I'm in a, uh, a bind. I would, I would honestly like to go and just go ahead and spend the rest of eternity with Christ. I'd like to go right now. I, I'm, I'm ready. Um, I've told you the story before of a lady in our church in Indiana where she would always say, every, every time we saw her, another day closer, talking about another day closer to heaven. She's ready to go. And I would always say, can we just give it a little bit of time, please? Uh, she's lived life a little longer than I have. But uh, uh, nonetheless, she's, every time we see her, another day closer, another day closer. Paul was saying, you know what, I'm in prison. Um, God has used me. He's helped me to do different things. He's, uh, uh, he's allowed me to preach the gospel in a number of different places to a number of different people. And you know what? I'm ready to go. I'm ready. But he says here in, uh, in verse number 23, I am in a strait betwixt two. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. You ever heard someone talk about that? They're in a better place. Now, um, if they're in heaven, they are in a better place. That's the truth. There's nothing behind that. But it doesn't usually make anybody feel a whole lot better. But they still say it. Uh, and, and, but Paul's saying to be with Christ is better than to be in this prison in Rome. But he says there in verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh, to stay alive, is more needful for you. God still has a purpose for me to be here. But Paul saw the blessings of both life and death. He says, if God chooses to, uh, to go ahead and end my time on this earth, it's great, I get to spend eternity with Christ. That's better than being here. I don't think Paul's prison had cable TV and a workout room and uh, different things like that. I didn't see it personally, but I don't think... That's the way it was. I've, I've met people who've spent a little bit of time in prison, and they've talked about, you know, it really isn't that bad. In Wisconsin, when I was in college, I worked with a guy, um, and, uh, and he would go on the weekends to prison. So I don't know how that works, but he was serving his time on the weekends. So he'd go to work Monday through Friday. After work Friday, he'd go to the local prison and check in to serve his time. And then he'd get back out on Sunday night or Monday morning and go to work Monday through Friday and then come back to prison every weekend. And, and I was like, that's kind of crazy. I don't know how that works. And, uh, and, and he was telling me, you know, it really isn't that bad. Uh, you know, I don't have to pay rent. Uh, I, got, I got a TV. We watched the games on the weekend and things like that. I thought, my goodness, that just doesn't seem 
um, like it's much of a penalty. But nonetheless, uh, that's not the way Paul's was. And Paul was sitting there in prison going, you know what? I'd be perfectly fine with just going to heaven. Let's just go ahead and call it a day and take off. There's blessing in death because I get to spend time with God. But he also says there's blessing in life. In verse um, uh, 22, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, meaning that, that there's still being fruit. The work that I'm doing, the ministry that I'm serving, the, the people that I'm trying to help, there's still people that need help. There's still people that need preaching. There's, this is the labor that if I'm still going to live, there's still things for me to do, and God will still use me, and there will be blessings in that as well. Uh, so you can either live and be used by God or die and be with God. Either one, is, is there are blessings in it. Number four, and lastly today, godly desires for the church. He's closing out chapter one, showing us godly desires uh, for the church, what God desires for the church. So to glorify God in your suffering, good messages don't make good people, God offers blessings in life and death, and then lastly, godly desires for the church. Look in verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Here, Paul reminds us, and we are given it by inspiration of God, that God desires for the church that we live life in accordance to the gospel. God desires for the church that no matter if a famous preacher and Paul is with us, or just this guy, uh, or just someone else, that wherever God has placed you, he wants you to live according to the gospel, to stand fast and to stand united in the gospel. Your conversation, the word conversation there is talking about your lifestyle, not your conversation out of your mouth. The way that you live, God says you should live it in accordance to the gospel. We talked about this a few weeks ago, I believe, but, or maybe it was last week, I don't, I don't remember, but being bought with a price. Jesus Christ paid for you. It was last week we talked about that. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, a bondsman. Jesus Christ has paid for you. So if you are saved, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've placed your faith in God's saving grace, you now ought to live in accordance to that. You ought to live your life knowing and proving that Jesus Christ is your King, is your Savior, is your Father. You ought to live according to that. And he says here in verse 27 that you stand fast in one spirit, and one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, that you stand fast and that you stand united together. We differ in areas of life, right? We like different music. We dress differently. We um, have different friends. We have different things that we like. Um, some people like sports. Some people hate sports. Some people like Kentucky, some people like Louisville. Uh, some people, uh, there, there's, there's differences, right? But God says, as a church, you ought to stand fast, stand firm, stand on solid ground, and stand united in the gospel. You see, the gospel is something we can't disagree on. The gospel is something that we can't say, well... I know the Bible says that it's not by works that you're saved, but you better be good or you're not going to go to heaven. Well, no, that's not what the Bible says. 
Thank goodness, because I ain't good. I'm not horrible. Uh, but you're all going, oh, well, maybe we should leave now. Uh, the Bible says that there's only one way to heaven. Jesus Christ is the only way. And if you say, well, I know Jesus Christ is the only way, but, but I really feel like if I'm not giving so much money to this place or if I'm not being this good, then, you know, I, I don't think I can make it. Guess what? You can't. That's why Christ is the only way. If you could be so good to get saved, you could be so bad to lose your salvation. And the Bible says that once you're saved, you're put in the hand of God Almighty and no man can pluck you out. That's something we have to be united on, the truth of the gospel. And so God says, live your life in accordance to the gospel by standing fast and standing united in it. Then he says to live life courageously in Christ. Look in verse 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Nothing terrified of your adversaries. Live confidently, live courageously in Christ. Don't be scared of what this world can do to you. Because guess what? Satan who's as a roaring lion seeking about whom he may devour, is awfully powerful. Satan is stronger than any of us, but he's not stronger than God. And the Bible says don't live your life terrified. Live your life courageous. Don't be scared of what the government can do to you because God's more powerful than the government. You know, I've talked about this before, but we complain, and it's all right as an American to say, I, I, I deserve these rights and I deserve these freedoms. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be patriotic, and I'm not saying you shouldn't stand up for your constitutional rights, okay? I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you, there are Christians across the world who have to quietly do their services in homes and apartments and secret meeting places because if the government finds out about it, they're going to prison, or they could be beaten, or they could be killed. And we're getting to think, oh man, this is just so rough. We're just got it so, so terrible here. Well, if this person gets voted in, then, then this is all going to change. I'm telling you, you don't understand, you don't comprehend. There are Christians across the world today who say, we've got to be very careful. We've got to come in in 15-minute increments so no one realizes the crowd that's gathering in this house. We have to come in quietly and peacefully. We've got to do three people at a time, and then another, another three people come in, and those kinds of things. We don't have to do that. And so in America especially, but all throughout the world, the Christian ought to live courageously for Christ, even in suffering. Verse 29, for unto you it is given on, in the behalf of him, but also to suffer for his sake. The Bible tells us that if we live godly, we're going to be attacked. That if we live godly, we're going to experience suffering and persecution. Listen, that doesn't make you go, yay, let's go live godly. But it is the Bible truth that God says, if you'll live for me, if you'll live obediently, if you'll live courageously for me, I'm going to take care of you. You are going to suffer persecution. You are going to suffer different things in your life if you live for me. Look at the disciples. Every single one of them murdered. Every single one of them killed. Every single one of them suffered because of Christ. You know what? I don't think a single one of them is complaining today. Today they're standing and they're rejoicing and they're worshiping God face to face. It doesn't matter. They lived courageously and they lived boldly. And there are stories all throughout history, both in the Bible and out of the Bible, of men and women who said, I don't care what this world tries to do to me. I don't care what Satan tries to do to me. I'm going to live as God told me to live, and I'll let God handle each and every situation. 
Matthew 5.11, we call them the Beatitudes, part of the Beatitudes. Uh, Matthew 5.11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And in the next verse it says, For great is your reward in heaven. Now I know our natural self says, I need to live for myself, I need to gain everything that I can gain, and I need to get the titles and the awards. You know what? I worked sales for a while and I got awards for them. And then after I left that job and two jobs later, I was looking at the awards one day stored up and I was like, why am I even keeping these? I threw them away. You know why? Because they were useless. Nobody cares about my great uh, insurance sales awards. I could hang it up on my office and you'd go, oh, wow, you had one really good quarter. Uh, yeah, I did. That was, you know, five years ago. And nobody cares. We can live our whole life trying to gain, 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 gain in this world, but God says it ain't going with you when you're dead. But you can live this life in obedience to God, even in sufferings, live courageously for God. Great is your reward in heaven. You know what? Heaven lasts for eternity. Heaven is eternal. So is hell, by the way. But if we live this life in obedience to God, seeking the reward in heaven and not the reward on this earth, and I'm not saying you should be homeless and live as poor as you can possibly live. That's not what I'm saying. But if your focus is solely on gaining in this world as opposed to living for God, when you get to heaven, your reward will not be the same as those who lived obediently to God. And God says that reward is eternal. God's desire for the church is very simple. Just live for God. God's desire for the church is the same as it was for the nation of Israel, for the, uh, the Jews wandering through the wilderness, for the Jews that went into the promised land. Uh, just live obediently to me. It's the same as he had for Adam and Eve when he created them. Just live for me. You see, so oftentimes we just ignore the simplest of requests by God. God's not going to make you live obediently. It's your choice to do. The question is, can you get past yourself and realize it's worth it? It's worth it to live for God. That's God's desire for you. It's God's desire for me. To live life in accordance to the gospel and to live courageously and obediently to God. Number one, glorify God in your sufferings. Number two, good messages don't make good people. Number three, God offers blessings in life and in death. And number four, godly desires for the church the, the letter in, to Philippi, it was specifically for that church, but it is incredibly applicable to us today because God's word is always effective and God's word is always impactful if you'll allow it to speak to you. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. I pray that we would live as you would have us to live. God, I pray that you would help us to understand that even in our hardest times, even in our sufferings, even in our trials, even in times maybe in, in years to come, if we begin to lose some freedoms in America, or even if we don't, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live our life understanding we have to glorify you in all things. God, I pray that you would help us to understand the importance of, of the good message that can come from God's word. And Lord, may we apply your, the truth of your word to our life and not be followers of people but followers of your word. God, I pray that you would help us to see the blessings that we have in this life. So oftentimes, we say, God, why don't you just take us to heaven? Why don't you just go ahead and end this, 
chaos in this world and take us to heaven. But God, would you help us to understand that there is a purpose for us on this earth, and God, that we would take advantage, take the opportunities that you give us. God, that we would be obedient so that we could see the blessings in this life. And God, I pray that you'd help us to live as you desire for us to live, uh, according to the gospel, courageously and obediently, boldly for your word. Lord, we need your help to do all of these things. And so, God, today we ask for it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you will. Please, the piano is going to begin to play. I'm not going to even ask any questions today. I'll just simply say this. If the Lord's spoken to your heart about something, an area in your life that needs to change, an area in your life that needs to improve, uh, anything else that God's spoken to you about, would you just take care of it with Him today? You can stay at your seat and just pray quietly to yourself and to God, asking Him for the help in the areas that He's spoken to you about this morning. Are you glorifying God in all things? Are you following God's Word? Have you been missing out on the blessings because you've been looking at all the non-blessings? There are a lot of blessings in this life that God has for you and desires for you to have if you'll simply just continue to follow and do what he wants you to do. Live according to the desires that God has for your life. Are you living according to the gospel? Is your life being centered around the gospel purpose? Live according to God's word. God wants to use you to spread God's word throughout the world. In order to do that, you have to be obedient to him. Lord, thank you again for your word and what we can learn from it. I pray that today we did learn something from your word. And God, I pray that you'd help us, um, give us everything that we need to move forward and do what you want us to do, what you've spoken to us about today. God, protect us, provide for us. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be back at 1 o'clock this afternoon. If you can join us, we'd sure love to have you. Uh, Jeremy Rowland, Baptist Church Planning Ministry, will be with us uh, here in the 1 o'clock service. I'm not sure... He said we this morning or yesterday when he texted. I'm not sure who that means, uh, but uh, looking forward to having him with us, updating us on the things going on in their ministry. So if you can be here, we'd love to have you back. Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, prayer time and Bible studies. We're going through Psalms on uh, Wednesday nights. And uh, on Sunday afternoons, we're going through the book of Jeremiah as well. Thank you for being with us today. Lord bless you. Uh, let's go ahead and be dismissed.